All righty. Good evening, everyone. How are we doing this lovely evening? All right. Sorry we're a minute behind. Um, we're missing a little bit of key personnel, but thank God that we have people that can come in and help that have good servants' hearts. And uh, All right. So please stand. We're going to open up in a word of prayer, and we're going to praise and glorify our God. My Father God, I thank you for this evening, and I thank you for your grace and mercy always. I thank you for the message that you put on Lenny's heart today, Lord. Um, I just pray, Lord, that we would seek you, the preeminent one, always through faith, through prayer, and continue with petitioning, Lord. Um, I, I, um, I don't know what you put on Pastor John's heart, Lord, but I pray that it would be your Holy Spirit and not his words, Lord. So I just pray in your name for your guidance and blessing that we all have ears to hear and that Leviticus will be a book that opens up more and more of yourself to us. And I pray in your name. Amen. Come praise and glorify. in Christ in Him our sins are washed away redeemed through sacrifice in Him God has made known to us the mystery of His will that Christ should be the head of all His purpose to fulfill to the praise of your glory, to the praise of your mercy and grace, to the praise of your glory, you are the God who saves. and glorify our God for we believe the word and through our faith we have a seal the spirit of the Lord the spirit guarantees our hope 
Until redemption's done Until we join in endless praise To God the free in one To the praise of your glory To the praise of your mercy and grace To the praise of your glory you are the God who saves To the praise of your glory To the praise of your mercy and grace To the praise of your glory You are the God who saves Amen. He is truly the God who saves. Let's turn around and greet one another. Oh, it's a beautiful thing to see you just looking at it at me. All right. We're going to sing to our gracious Redeemer. No shame, 
No curse, no chains, new life you gave, Redeemer. No guilt, no shame, no curse, no chains, no life you gave, Redeemer. My debt is paid, my soul now saved, oh God, you came, Redeemer. My debt is paid, my soul now saved, oh God, you came, Redeemer, my Jesus, gracious Redeemer and friend, there's nothing like your love without end. My hope was purchased by the blood of the Lamb, my Jesus. Redeemer, my Jesus, gracious Redeemer and friend, there's nothing like your love without end. My hope was purchased by the blood of the Lamb, my Jesus, Redeemer. My Jesus, Redeemer. My Jesus, my Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. I'm talking. We're good? All right. Hopefully you're listening. All right. So, pop quiz. I'll start with the easy question. What book are we studying? Well done. What chapter are we up to? 16. How many chapters are in Leviticus? 27. So for all you math phobics out there, we're more than halfway through the book. That, that, that snuck up on me big time. Like, we passed halfway over a month ago. And I cannot thank God for that enough, because believe it or not, it was March 19th, almost exactly five months ago, that I stood up here and gave the first sermon in the book of Leviticus. And, you know, I'm, I know I was very open about it, but I'll still say how daunting a task it was, how intimidating a task it was. And I'm not going to make it sound like it was easy. We have all worked. God has blessed us. But, oh, my goodness. I'm not surprised he's gotten us this far. I'm just thankful he's gotten us this far and look forward to seeing what he has in store. We're honoring him by giving his word the attention it deserves and he's blessing us by opening our eyes to things that only his spirit can show us. So um, since today is 16, it means pastor most recently did 15 because of potluck. It was two weeks ago and he had the honor of preaching about the laws of bodily discharges. That's why we pay him the big bucks. Uh, But he did a very good job of staying away from the details. He's like, look, I understand this isn't really what we do today, what we talk about today. But he summed it up with, it doesn't change the fact that God wants us to be clean when we come into his presence. I thought that was a great way to summarize the heart behind Leviticus 15. Well, that's also the heart behind Leviticus 16, but I get a much more common and even today relevant passage uh, to preach on. I don't have to... Uh, preach it through the lens of bodily discharges. I get to preach it through the lens of the Day of Atonement. Um, if Day of Atonement doesn't sound familiar to you, you might actually recognize its Jewish name even more, Yom Kippur. So, is everything that we study today what they celebrate in Yom Kippur? No, but it's the heart of it. It's where it came from. And just because a lot of us probably know Jewish people and maybe can use today's 
you know, study to kind of speak to them. I just want to rattle off some of the things that, that people who, who still celebrate this, I mean, what are the chances something from Leviticus is still celebrated today? Well, you better believe this is. So I just, you know, I didn't do a, a deep search. I just pulled up a Google page of facts about Yom Kippur, and I found somebody's kind of interesting. Um, according to tradition, it is on Yom Kippur that God decides each person's fate. So Jews are encouraged to make amends and ask forgiveness for sins committed during the past year. The holiday is observed with a 25-hour fast and a special religious service. The tradition is said to have continued until the destruction of the Second Temple by the Romans in 70 AD. It was then adapted into a service for rabbis and their congregations in individual synagogues. According to tradition, God judges all creatures during the 10 days of awe, A-W-E, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, deciding whether they will live or die in the coming year. Jewish law teaches that God inscribes the names of the righteous in the Book of Life and condemns the wicked to death on Rosh Hashanah. But people who fall between these two categories have until Yom Kippur to perform teshuva, or repentance. As a result, observant Jews consider Yom Kippur and the days leading up to it a time for prayer, good deeds, reflecting on past mistakes, and making amends with others. Before Yom Kippur, some Jews symbolically throw their sins away in a practice called tashlish, which is Hebrew for to cast. They go to a body of water where they say prayers and throw bread into the water as a symbol of casting their sins away. More religious Jews will perform the kaparat, which is symbolic of atonement, right? in preparation for Yom Kippur, where they wave a chicken over their head three times while reciting Isaiah 118 before slaughtering the fowl and donating the bird or its monetary value to a charitable cause. Many Jews choose to follow a tradition of wearing white clothing on Yom Kippur, symbolizing purity and a biblical promise that sins that are repented shall be made white as snow. Anyone who cannot safely fast during those 24 hours of Yom Kippur, including children and pregnant women, are exempt. Some religious Jews also avoid washing, bathing, makeup, deodorant, and sexual relations during Yom Kippur. Many Jews, even those who do not actively practice Judaism, will take the day off work for Yom Kippur. Much of Israel closes down over this period. Many observant Jews spend much of the holiday at the synagogue. Services include readings from the Torah. Yom Kippur concludes with the blowing of the shofar, which is a trumpet made from a ram's horn. And many families hold a festival meal with relatives and friends to break the fast. So is all that found in Leviticus 16? Most certainly not. The vast majority of it isn't. And they even admitted that, that up until 70 AD, and then they just kind of... Well, this is what we do in our congregation. But they most certainly still take this stuff ridiculously seriously. A lot of you know that I work in a Jewish school after my public school. And yeah, they, they shut down for two weeks. They, they take this stuff serious. So while we don't relate to Leviticus 16 the way they do, I do want to make sure we all understand that there are still plenty of people who look at that as a way of getting atonement from God. Now, we know ours is through Christ. We understand that. But as Pastor said two weeks ago, and as many of us have said standing up here, it's the heart behind it. The heart doesn't change. The heart that God wants us to have as we come into his presence and as we seek atonement and as he grants it has not changed. So that's what we're going to study tonight. Uh, we're going to look at Leviticus 16. I'm going to, as always, share what God laid on my heart. But as I share what he laid on my heart, I will trust that the Spirit will speak what you need to hear to yours. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Um, I'm here right now. Um, I can laugh that somebody waves a chicken over their head, Lord, but I'm well aware that they're doing that because they want your forgiveness. They want your atonement. They want everything that I already have in Christ. So I, I don't laugh, Lord. I cry. It, it breaks my heart, and yet I know that only your spirit can open eyes. So my, my extremely heartfelt prayer is that everyone here's eyes have been opened. Lord, that as we study this book, we see it, this passage, we see it for what it is. Lord, it's not directions to us now, but it is insight into what you want, what you demand, what you require um, for us to have the relationship with you that we want to have. Lord, if you can use this in our relationships with others, then I thank you. But, but always, Lord, it has to be our relationship with you first. And I know what you've shown me. I thank you for that. 
I'm well aware you will show someone else <coughs> the same thing, but in a different way. Lord, that's just, that's who you are. Lord, nobody's learning from me tonight. We are listening to your spirit. We are reading your word, as Lenny preached this morning. Lord, we are taking the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and using it, Lord, for defense, for offense, for everything for the power that it is. So I thank you in advance for what you've laid on my heart and look forward to you speaking to each heart here in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if we can stand in honor of reading God's word, we will look at Leviticus chapter 16. All right, and here we go. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on his, the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his, whole, his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat and on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of the atoning for the holy place in the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he was, went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in the water and afterwards he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes 
and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute for you that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. You may be seated. All right. So, as the guy who had the honor of preaching the first seven chapters of Leviticus, we talked about what is a burnt offering, what is a grain offering, what is a peace offering, what is a sin offering, what is a guilt offering. And it seemed like God had every base covered. I think I even said that at the time. Anything that the people had to repent for, anything that the people wanted to lift up to God, was taken care of in those five offerings. So why did they need a day of atonement to ask for forgiveness for their sins when that's all they were doing every other day of the year. And the simple answer is, it didn't matter what they were doing every other day of the year. They were never going to be able to repent of every sin they commit. They were never going to be able to purify every cleanliness. There was always going to be something they missed, something they didn't realize, something they didn't this, something they didn't that. And God said, I'll take care of it. I'll make sure that there's one day where the high priest comes to me and we just wipe the slate clean. So we need to realize, I said this back then, but especially now, this is not God giving, oh, geez, one more thing for these poor Jews to do. The Jews were very thankful for the Day of Atonement. We read in the beginning that people that don't even recognize their Judaism stop what they're doing and they recognize the Day of Atonement. Just crossing their fingers, hoping that this stuff works, because this is the one day that God will give me that forgiveness that I'm seeking. So that's what we're looking at here. Does the word phrase day of atonement appear? No, not at all. But the word atonement appears 15 times, and it all regards one day in the year. So you can see where they get the idea of day of atonement. So to kind of stick in the theme of what is a burnt offering, what is a grain offering, what is a peace offering, what is a sin offering, what is a guilt offering, what is atonement? That's the title of today's sermon. And unlike all of those others where I spent the entire sermon telling you what a burnt offering was and telling you what a grain and a peace... We should know by now. We've said it so many times. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. But that word to atone means to cover over. Got it? To cover over doesn't really mean to forgive. Forgiveness is the result of atonement, right? Because it's covered over, God forgives. And it definitely doesn't mean to remove. We'll talk about that later. But today's sermon isn't about defining atonement, because I don't think Leviticus 16 was about defining atonement. When I ask what is atonement, I mean what is it about atonement? What are some of its defining characteristics? What are some of the effects? What are some of the results that should happen because of the atonement that God offers, specifically in Leviticus 16? There's probably a lot of ways you could answer that question. But specific to Leviticus 13, uh, 16, you know me. I'm going to have three things that I think atonement is based on what we're told in Leviticus 16. So I think once I tell you the first one, you'll get the hang of it. But by far, again, I know scripture is of no personal interpretation. I get it. But God still speaks to each one of our hearts. Got it? This is for me personally, by far, what screamed at me out of Leviticus 16 is how humbling atonement should be. So to me, that's the number one point. Atonement is humbling. And I know I said it is humbling, but what that means is it should be. Right? Greek fans out there, the subjunctive, right? The logical conclusion Atonement should be humbling. When you have a sin, when you have a transgression, when you have a mark against you covered, that should humble you. But if we're honest, especially in the world we live in today, it, it very often doesn't. 
I know I owe that money, but... I know I committed that crime, but... I know I failed the last three and a half marking periods, but... It's almost like people, like, like they're entitled to some sort of atonement. That, of course, you should cover this up for me. You're not being fair if you don't cover this up for me. And again, I always say, I'm not pointing at them, I'm pointing at us. They can do what they're going to do, but are we? Are we humbled by the atonement that God so graciously has given each one of us? I want to say yes. Every time I think about it, my answer is yes. The problem is, how often do I think about it? Again, I'm so thankful that I was saved from the crib. I know that's not true, but you know what I mean. Of course I'm thankful that I don't have a life full of godless sin to look back on. I don't. But the one danger in that is I really do have to stop and think what it really means that he atoned, he covered up my sin. I need to be humbled by that. And I think God makes it very clear that that is the attitude that he wants to be approached in with in Leviticus 16. So I'm going to give you six places that I think Humbleness shows up in here. They're going to be quick. If you see more, you can tell me later. And if you think I'm stretching it on some of them, too bad, because I'm the guy that's up here, so you got to listen. But right off the bat, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near to the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron. Now, I don't know if you guys remember, but Pastor said two weeks ago that the beginning of chapter 15 was the Lord told Moses and Aaron. He said that. He said it used to just be the Lord told Moses, and now it's become the Lord told Moses and Aaron. How great that was. Team effort. But here, when the message is directly for Aaron, God's like, yeah, no, no, no. Moses, you tell him I said that. I don't even want to speak directly to him. Not because I'm mad at him. Not because he... No but because I want him to understand that that's how it speaks to my heart. I know that if I ever heard, I mean, let's be honest, his son's just, right? I'm sure he felt so. If I ever did anything wrong and then my mother says, wait till your father talks, right? You know what I mean? It's like, oh boy, this isn't, uh, to me, if if that is how it was worded to me, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but to me, that definitely, right off the bat, says, God, I expect you to approach me in a humble way. And then twice, and we're not going to really break the passage down. You can go back and, but twice, he says, because if you don't do it the way I tell you, you're going to die. Now let's be honest, that doesn't mean God's going to push him off a cliff. No, it wasn't that kind of death, you know, what we would call a, uh, no, it was simply, you don't do, this is how serious it is. Humble yourself before me and don't think you can do things the way you... That's what your sons did. We don't know what the sons did, but I guarantee you the sons did not approach him humbly. Guaranteed. He was told to wear linen clothing. Now, nowadays, right? Linen often gets a pretty good wrap, right? It's sturdy, it's strong, it's, you know, it's it's well-made, something with linen. Back then, that was the clothing of servants, Now, pastor preached from chapters 8 through 10. What kind of clothes? You don't got to give me details unless you have them, but like an adjective here. What did the priest wear? Oh, come on now. Whoo, beautiful stuff. Ephods with jewels. And I mean, they were, whoo, they were top of the line. And I love what the one commentator said. He said, because every other day of the year, that priest represented God's representative to the people. But on the Day of Atonement, the priest was the people's representative to God. He was not going in God's presence all dressed up pretty, feeling like he was something else. He was in the clothes of a servant. God wanted him to be humble. God wanted him to bathe. Again, while may, it had nothing to do with if he needed to take a bath or not. It was that conscious effort of, you better do this, you better do this, you better, before you even think about coming into my presence. You better sacrifice for yourself first. Did the priests have a way to sacrifice for their sin? Yeah, guess what it was called? The sin offering. There were four different sin offerings, right? And the very first one was if the priest himself had sin. This wasn't for the priest's sin. This wasn't for anyone's... It was just for the general Lord in case we missed anything. And God said, yeah, and you worry about yourself first. You and your household... You, you show me an offering for that. 
Don't tell me, even though they probably could have. Oh, Lord, I mean, how often did Moses say it? Lord, these people that you stuck me with, I can't take this anymore. And yet, no. You come into my presence, you acknowledge your own sin first. Makes me think of Nehemiah and Daniel and the prophets who would cry out and say, Lord, forgive us of our sin. Forgive me of my sin. And you read that and you're like, really, Nehemiah? Dude, did you do anything wrong? It didn't matter. When they went before God, they were focusing on their sin first. And then he was to take in a censer of uh, coals and pour incense on it. And it would create this smoke so that he couldn't clearly see God. Okay? You're listening, right? Because a layer of smoke is really going to protect... No. It wasn't. But it was the idea. It was that idea that I don't even want you to be able to see clearly. I want you, we were talking in, uh, oh, come on. Oh, pastor, right? Yeah, pastor, just the other, the last week, right? How a lot of Jews, they, they, don't, they go like this, right? They don't bow with the knee. They go like this. Maybe you've seen them do it before. I can't speak to their heart, but I looked up why they do it. And technically, it's because they don't want to be too established in God's presence. They want to be a little uneasy. They want to. It's supposed to help them concentrate. It's supposed to help their emotional intensity to say, no, I, uh, I'm in the presence of God. You know, so I know sometimes they start going like this, but we do the same thing. We raise our hands and we forget why we're putting them up. But in general, that, that's that idea. It's simply that idea of time after time after time, I believe God saying, you be humble when you come in front of me. Now, you don't have to answer this, but in your head, I, I hope... Why should a human humble themselves coming into the presence of God? Because we are human, and he's God. Isn't that common sense? Agreed? I'm going to use my hands. I'm Italian. Because we are human, and he's God. That's reason enough, yes? And yet for God, it's not. I love Sue said the women are going to be talking about the blessings of humility. God never tells us to be humble so that we know our place. If you can find a verse that says that, where he says, humble yourself, don't ask me why, just do what I said so. He doesn't want humbleness to have the negative connotation that we so often put with it. And you know how I know we put it with it? Because I looked up synonyms for humble on Google. And it gives you a list, and then it says, you know, click here if you want more. I didn't click. I'll just read you the ones. I think they're going to pop up on this. This is what Google defines humbling as. You ready? Humiliate, abase, demean, belittle, lower, degrade, debase, bring down, bring low, mortify, shame, put to shame, abash, subdue, and then I didn't click to get more. Oh my goodness. Like, that, don't, well, Google has a liberal agenda. Come on, stop. I don't care if they do. They, they didn't, come on. That's what the world sees humbling as. If you've been humbled, you, your tail's between your legs. Your head's down. You can't even, you're the kid who's about to get. God doesn't want that. I'm going to read you some verses that refer, popular ones. I promise I did that on purpose. Popular verses that refer to being humble and you tell me if any of these words seem to fit with those verses. Ready? Here we go. We'll start with the most obvious one in my mind. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Does it sound like God is debasing them? Does it sound like he is belittling them? Does it sound like he is mortifying them or putting them to shame? Or does it sound like he's begging? Guys, I want to bless you, but I just I need you to humble yourself. It's not even a command. Agreed? If they do this, whew, wait till you see what I have in store. Isn't that what Leviticus 16 also was? I just rattled off all these things that Aaron had to do, all these ways that Aaron had to be humbled so that the entire nation's sins could be forgiven for a year. Could you imagine being Aaron and saying, do I really got to take a bath first? What are you kidding me? Lord, whatever you need me to do, whatever you need me to do so that our sins can be forgiven, it's to our benefit to be humbled. 
Look at Luke 14, 11. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I would have been fine if that had stopped halfway through. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. We love that, don't we? When somebody gets a little too cocky, a little too big for their britches, right? Knock them down a few pegs. Go get them, God. But the one who humbles himself, he'll be exalted. God wants to lift up his children. Why wouldn't he? We just have to have a humble mindset, a humble heart first. Now, you ready? Here's where it really gets good. First, Peter, don't you love when you go looking for something and you find something you weren't even looking for? First Peter 5, 6. The first two were not commands to be humble, agreed? They were just, if you humble yourself, here's what will happen, agreed? First Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Is that a command? Humble yourselves. Don't worry, it is. Well, kind of, yeah. It's, but it's passive tense. Isn't that interesting? Now, again, I'm not trying to be an English teacher up here. But I would, if, I would call that the death. Of course that's active. Humble yourself. I should humble myself. That's written in the passive voice. What it really means is allow yourself to be humbled. Let God humble you. He doesn't even ask us to do the work. He's not some, you know, when one king conquers the other king and he demands, bow before me. No. No, he's just saying, look, let, let me. Let me do this work in you so that I can exalt you. So that... I can atone for your sins so that I can do what you need. But we know without a humble heart, God makes it clear he's not going to do it. So I found that very interesting. It's in the imperative, imperative's a command, passive voice. I don't know. I found it interesting. I also found Colossians 3.12 interesting. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. I, got a, I knew I was going to get it fast because I get excited. i got to breathe, I know. Do you see the word humility? Is it a verb here? No, don't worry. You're not going to fail that test. It's not. The verb here is what? Put on. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's active or passive? And don't guess. Really think about it. Do you think putting on is active or passive? What do you think, Dave? I'll give you two tries. No. Give you another try. No. It's called the middle voice. I love this. I'm getting goosebumps right now. It's called the middle voice. It's going to pop up there. The middle voice is a voice that is neither active nor passive because the subject of the verb cannot be unambiguously categorized as either the agent or the patient for having elements of both. Isn't that so beautiful? Sean, that's how I knew what middle voice was this morning. When it says the Spirit helps us. And it said that it's in the middle voice. In other words, yeah, the Spirit is active in it, but so are we. Putting on it. Can you just go back one slide? Back to Colossians 3. Put on, therefore, as God's chosen ones. Yeah, it is on us to do it, but it's not just on. The Spirit will come along. He'll help us. He wants us to be humble. Is He commanding us to be humble? Yes. But is he giving us what we need to be humble? Is he giving us incentive to be humble? Is he saying it's in our... Yes, the blessings... I didn't know Miss Sue was going to say that. I heard it two minutes before the sermon started. She was telling Miss Darlene. But yeah, when atonement is humbling, it's not a, all right, you're right, God. You, 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 You forgave my sins. All right, what do you need? No, it's not the tail between the legs, the head. No, it's a beautiful thing. Something that should draw us closer to God. Something that should help us love. Again, it doesn't lower us more as much as it raises him more. Agreed, it gives him the honor and glory that he deserves. That's what he wanted. He wasn't being an ogre when he had Aaron go through all of these steps. But he just wanted them to understand, listen, if you're not humble, you know, my, my people serve me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I want to see humility. I want to see meekness. I want to see all the things that we know are fruit of the Spirit. They wouldn't have called it that in the Old Testament. But I just love how as I just went looking for verses on humble, I noticed they're all attached to a blessing. And they're all, at least when the, when the command comes, I haven't found one that was an active command. Maybe there's one. I went to James. James 4, 6 is, uh, he gives more grace because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I get it. That's a noun. 
But then a few verses later, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Again, passive. Passive. It's not even, all right, Lord, I'll humble myself. No. All right, Lord, I'll allow myself. Humble me, Lord. Humble me. Give me a spirit of humility. Help me see myself through your eyes so that I can see the, 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 the co-heir that I am. But at the same time, you know, I, me and my son have shirts that say righteous wretch. But, but that just goes so beautifully together. Yeah, righteous wretch. How can you not be humble, but not overly, not defeated, not head between your t- tail, but no, a righteous wretch. It's a beautiful thought. So, so that's my point. I, I'm not, I'm, that was my biggest point today. My biggest point today is, yes, atonement should be humbling. Don't just take God's atonement for granted, his forgiveness, his, all of that. No. It should be touching our hearts. It should be touching our stomachs, to be honest. We're not in our stomach as we, yeah, depending on how long you've been saved. You don't mean to get used to it. You thank him every time you think about it. You just don't find yourself thinking about it as often as you should. Well, maybe that's why he has us in Leviticus 16 tonight. Okay, the first thing that I get from this is that atonement is uh, humbling. Thankfully, it's not based on the humility. Agreed? Then we'd be in trouble. If God said, I'll atone for your sins if you're humble. No, no, no. But oh my goodness, it should be the logical conclusion. It should be the heart that we come to him after what he's done for us. Okay, so the number two thing I see is that atonement is complete. Now again, we kind of said that. In case you missed any sin along the way, don't worry. This day will take care of it. That's not what I mean. When I say complete, I actually mean two aspects of it. So the word atonement shows up 15 different places. Okay? Um, In verse 16, I don't know if I'm doing the slides a little out of order. I'm sorry. But verse 16 says, Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel, and because of their transgression, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. And then in verse 20, And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. Did anyone catch it? Did you catch it? I don't know if you did. But I'm going to tell you, verse 16 does not say, thus he shall make atonement in the holy place. That would have made a lot more sense. It's a location, right? It says, when he has made atonement for the holy place. And then it goes on to say, and he shall do the same for the tent of meeting. And then verse 20, when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar. He's atoning for these things. I'm sorry, it's the best word I could come up with, but I'm going to call that an external. It's externally complete. You understand? It wasn't just going in there, Lord, forgive our sins so that we can be atoned for. God said, you don't get it. Everything here is marred with sin. Everything here is stained. The fact that you walked into the temple tells me it's it's defiled. The fact that you offered something to me on the altar, it's defiled. Um, I think of the phrase, you know, oh, the world's a better place with you in it. Look, I feel that way about all of you. But spiritually speaking, no, the, wor- the world's a worse place with each one of us in it because each one of us adds one more sinner to the world. Isn't that what Mike said a few months, uh, weeks ago, right? That when a woman gave birth, what kind of offering did she have to give? A sin offering. It wasn't a sin to give birth, but it was the idea that that woman was bringing another sinner into the world, yes? And if that baby was a girl... The process just became doubled because you'd be bringing a sinner into the world who might someday bring a sinner into the world. Agreed? God wanted them to understand, listen, I don't just want to make you clean. I want to make everything clean. I want everything whitewashed. The temple, the the tent of meeting, the, the altar, all of it. So I'm referring to that as external and as I try to apply it to my life, again, application, my atonement really shouldn't just clean me. Agreed? Shouldn't my atonement have a cleaning effect on those around me? Not, not a perfect cleansing, not salvific. Don't, you, you know what I mean. But like I think of the Philippian jailer, right? Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. That doesn't really mean that just because the, the, the jailer believed his whole household was saved. Everyone's accountable for themselves. But it was that idea that, that the atonement that God gives us would have an effect on everything around us. 
Uh, I think of 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers... I was really hoping that was the root of atonement. It's not. But it's the idea, isn't it? Covers a multitude of sins. I just... I don't want to spend too much on this because I don't think I'm explaining it well. But I think that's a beautiful picture that as they came once a year to say, Lord, please forgive our sins, God said, you don't get it. I, I need it all clean. I want it all clean. I want everything around me clean, which we know Christ did. I'll talk about that in a second. But I'm just referring that to as externally. Right? Do you have a, can I call it a cleaning influence? I don't know what to call it. On your family. On your workplace. On your church, right? Aren't we to be building one another up, edifying one another, yes? I know it's not a direct correlation, but I'm telling you it's how I spoke to my heart, and you can decide how God's speaking it to yours. But if that's external, externally complete, this passage definitely tells us how it's internally complete as well. Again, I'm going to try to breathe because I know I'm talking fast, and I don't want you to miss this. By definition, atonement isn't complete. We already said that. If atonement is only covering over, then it doesn't actually get rid of the sin. If I can use the horrible analogy of putting the dust under the rug or all the garbage in the closet so nobody can see it, I'm not saying those are representative of atonement. But atonement covers up the sin. By definition, it doesn't Remove the sin. It's not complete. And yet for God it is. God made sure that his atonement process, what he called atonement, took care of both. Took care of both with? All right, good. Then you all got to keep listening now. The two goats. Okay? There were two goats here. And we're not going to reread the passage because I knew this was going to take a while. But one goat, you know, they would cast lots. One goat would be killed. Agreed? One goat would be killed, and that is what would be offered up as the sin offering, right? Without the remission of sin, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. But all that did was forgive the sin. It didn't remove the sin. So that other goat would always be, the priest would put his hands on the horns. I hope you don't mind. I'm skipping a lot of the detail. The detail isn't what spoke to me. It's the idea. Hands on the horn. Confess the people's sin. And that goat would wander off until they couldn't see it. Over the it would just somebody would take it out, somebody would be chosen to take it out until it was completely out of sight. And it was at that moment that the Jews could quote unquote exhale because their sins weren't just forgiven, they were forgotten. So to God, atonement was always a complete process, but it was a complete process that required two goats, a scapegoat, which is kind of Azazel doesn't mean scapegoat. Azazel. They said it was probably a place, but, but it was the idea behind it. That's where we get scapegoat from. Lord, we're going to put the... But it required two goats. I mean, come on. You can't kill a goat because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And have that same goat live. You have to have two goats, don't you? Unless you have a Savior who rose from the dead. Understand? Um, I was listening to a sermon on Leviticus 16. I just, you know, Googled it. That's all I do. And opened the Bible ministries. I forget where the church is from, but the pastor said that they were in the, not the middle, but they were in the midst of a one-year study of the Bible. But not reading the whole Bible. He was going to choose 50 passages. Why not 52? I don't know. 50 passages that best summarize the entire Bible. So that if anybody came up to you and asked you about your faith, you would have some, to the best of his ability, this is what he felt best covered the Bible. Now, I'm looking around here. There's a lot of people here who know the Bible. If we put our heads together, we could probably come up with 50, a top 50 passage list, you know, that speaks to, would Leviticus 16 be on it? <laughs> Maybe now it would. It wouldn't have been before, but this guy put Leviticus 16 on it because of how beautifully this illustrates what Christ does for us. He says, you want to explain to an unbeliever what Christ does for you, and you feel like they don't understand all the jargon and all the... Just have them read Leviticus 16, which right away sounds weird. I'm not sending an unbeliever to Leviticus. I don't even read Leviticus. But isn't it so beautiful? 
there had to be two goats because one had to pay the price for the sin, but one had to take the sin away. And I'll be honest, I'm skipping the things about how their bodies would be taken outside the camp. We've talked about that before. But just that idea of how Christ so beautifully is internally and externally our complete atonement. Uh, I was listening to another sermon. I, I think I can fit this in. Just some really cool thoughts. I'm sorry. Does everything have to be deep theologically, or can some of them just be really cool thoughts? How many times did the priest sprinkle the blood? Seven. That was the same as a sin offering, yes? How many wounds did Christ bleed from? Seven. He had the thorn around his head. He had the whips on his back. He had each one of his wrists, each one of his ankles, and the thorn in his side. I'm not trying to make that deep theological, but I love it. I love that idea. That as the priest was looking forward to God's promises and sprinkling seven, God's like, you know something? My son's going to have seven wounds. Seven bleeding from seven places for you. And then even better, where was he sprinkling the blood? On the mercy seat where God resided, yes? And what was on each side of the mercy seat? Cherubim. Again, we studied all this before. It's in Exodus 25. Angelic figures on each side. So there was blood staining in between two angelic figures. Sound the least bit familiar? What the women and the disciples saw when they went to the empty tomb? Jesus wasn't there. But where he was lying most likely had blood spilt there with an angel on each side. I mean, that's just so beautiful. I, I get chills that God is all the way down to, we're in Leviticus. And we're so clearly seeing what Jesus did for us. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So that's what I have so far. That, that atonement is humbling, but in the best of ways. In a way that it'll bring us closer to him and help us experience his blessings for us more and more as we humble ourselves He'll exalt us. It's also complete. Externally, everything around us, he wants us to, to, to again, I don't feel like that's the best analogy, but internally, yeah, our, our Lord and Savior, he, his atonement paid for our sins as well as removed them as far as the east is from the west. And then the last thing I see here, uh, the last thing about atonement is that atonement is, oh, I think, I, all right, I was going to read that passage. That's right, we'll skip down. Atonement is continual. Look at verses 29 to 34. This I will read. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. And you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you. That, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins and Aaron did. As the Lord commanded Moses. I highlighted it so that you wouldn't miss it. That word forever. I struggle with it. Because the Jews are still recognizing this. And if they ever said, well, but God told me to keep doing it. I would struggle arguing. It says forever. Now when you look up the word forever, it actually means for a long, undetermined period of time. So the best I could explain is what God's saying here to the readers are, listen, you're going to do this. You're going to tell your kids to do this. And you're going to tell your kids' kids to do this. And you're going to keep doing this. And then I guess when the temple, we know we don't need to keep doing this. We know that Christ fulfilled this. How sad if we did think that we still had to kill a goat to have our sins forgiven and then send one off into the horizon to have, no, oh my goodness. It does, it, 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 it. I'm not going to start crying right now, but it really does bother me that there are people who think you still have to do this. No, we don't have to, but the point is God gave them the, the, the command, really. This is a continual process. And we, 
Did Christ die once for all? Yes, Hebrews makes that clear. But is it a continuous process? Most certainly. You better believe it. The Bible's very clear. Sean was in Romans 8, 30, uh, 8 this morning, just stopped a little bit short. He stopped at 30. But Romans 8, 34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Not interceded. Right? We understand what he did, but as our high priest, he is continually, again, not continually forgiving our sins, but continually advocating on our part, like the high priest would do once a year for the people. And then Lenny did read one of, one of these this morning, Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So am I thankful that a goat doesn't have to get killed every year? Yes. Am I thankful that I know my sins are forgiven? Yes. But do I want to lose sight of the fact that that atonement is, wasn't a one, it was one time in one aspect, but it's, it's continual as I grow in it, as I grow in my sanctification, Christ is constantly advocating for me, supporting me, giving me his spirit so that I can be who he wants me to be and do what he wants me to do. So that's what I got from this chapter. I don't know if I did it justice. I admit that I, there's a lot of detail there that I skipped because that's not what spoke to my heart in the moment. Okay, and I challenge each of you, you go read it again. And if something speaks to your heart, I'll gladly talk to you about it. But don't let atonement be a foreign word. Know what it means. Such an important concept. But also don't be so comfortable with it that we lose sight of the blessing that it is. We, it should humble us in, in, a, in a way that brings us closer to him, not further. We don't want to lose sight of how complete it is and how he continues to be our advocate in a way that only he can. So I thank you all. Michael will have Leviticus 17 next week. But like I said, God just keeps getting us through these chapters. Amen. Lord, I thank you. Um, I, I can honestly say I did not need Leviticus 16 to know what your son did for me. So many other places in your word, Lord. I, it, it's, it's not about what we need. It's just what we need. And you, just, you keep showing it in different ways and new ways and old ways that we forgot about. And Lord, I, I thank you. I thank you that we can't open this Bible and study it without seeing your son, without being humbled in the best of ways, Lord, and, and only positive ways. Lord, I pray for those who struggle with that. I struggle not being humble enough, and others, I know they beat themselves up too much, Lord. I know. They, they tell me. I pray that we can just be right where you want us to be, just humble enough that our focus is completely on you, not on our sin, not on our shortcomings, not on how bad we are, but on how perfect you are, Lord, that you're our loving Father. That's what I don't want my kids defeated by their faults. I want them knowing I love them. I know you're the same, Lord, but we have to be humbled. We have to take the message from Leviticus 16, Lord, the heart behind it, and just like Pastor said two weeks ago, Lord, to strive to be clean as we come into your presence. So I thank you for what you've spoken. I thank you for what you will speak, and I thank you for how your spirit will help us if we allow him, Lord. We have to listen. We have to submit, but if we do our part, we know for a fact he'll do his. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, one question. From whom do all blessings flow? God. Let's stand and we're going to sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.